You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. And joining me in the co-host chair today is my buddy, Aaron King. How are you, Aaron? Hey, Jeff. I am doing really well. I'm looking at that end of the tunnel of 2020 and seeing 2021 come up. And even though switching over to 2021 has no bearing on whether our good luck or bad luck turns to good luck, I still feel like it's going to be this end of it all. You know, that's the change. It's going to happen and it's going to be great in 2021. Yeah, so many people I think are looking forward to putting 2020 (laughs) behind them. Uh, But we're going to, I want to, and and, uh, yes, it's perfect. I do this show every year. (laughs) We do this episode every year where we talk about how to like leverage the, the end of year, the whole like new year's goals, new year resolution kind of thing, and make sure your photography is included in that. A lot of people listening to this show are either hobbyists or part-time professionals where this is not their main job. Uh, but there it's a passion at the very least, and they're hoping they can make some money at it too. And oh, yeah. I, I want to offer, I want to go through and, and rehash, even though I do this at the end of every year, pretty much. I just feel like there's enough new listeners. And even if you've been listening for a while, it's good just to have your creative juices revved up and, and try to, to set some, some resolutions for yourself, some goals for yourself, ways to stretch yourself in 2021. And 2020 was hard enough on all of us. I could see where maybe this would take a back burner <laughs> to, to your goal setting and resolutions. And it may be just like, I want to be able to like live my life again in 2021. But uh, let, I want to, I want to just offer whatever help and suggestions that we can think of as we go through this episode to talk about how photographers can plan to stretch themselves in 2021. One of the best ways I know to jumpstart that process is something that I've preached for many years now. <laughs> I, Aaron, I think you've heard me say it a lot. Oh, I think I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the top 10 process, the <laughs> yep. top 10 photos. And uh, I think this is a really good way to get yourself like a free portfolio review. It's kind of how I, I like to look at it. An unbiased one. And you might think, well, if I'm the judge and you are, you're the judge to find your top 10 photos through the year. How is it that that can be an unbiased or, or even remotely close to a portfolio review? And I'm not saying it replaces getting a third party, someone that you trust to give you a portfolio review. That can be super helpful for your photography, give you a fresh perspective and, and give you a direction of where you should go with uh, improving your skill set and making yourself a better photographer for sure. But this will only cost you time. That's all it's going to cost you is your time, which can be some. Um, and it's it's a way like going through your hundreds to thousands of images that you've made t- took over 2020 and narrowing it down to the very top 10 best. If you've never tried that before, it's tough. It's, it's really hard, especially when you get it down to like 50 or 20, 20 narrowing from your top 20 photos down to your top 10. You've got to say 10 of those images are are your babies that are ugly. <laughs> and, yeah. Right? Exactly. And, and, and that is really, really hard to do. It is so tough. And because of that, it turns yourself into an unbiased judge. These are no longer yeah. like emotional connection because they may all 20 might have emotional connection or w- whatever. It, it's really, really tough. Have you ever done the top 10 process? 
Yes, and in fact, it's all thanks to you and the Photo Taco Podcast. It was you encouraging us back in 2016 that create had me create my very first list. You're talking about how it's tough to choose your final 10. Well, the thing is, is all of us are our worst critics. We look at our images and go, oh, this image sucks. I like that guy's image on Facebook. It's so good. Man, her image was amazing. And then I look at my own image and go, what went wrong? Why do I <laughs> suck? Why does this image not look good? And so we're, we're simultaneously critical and devastatingly cruel to ourselves. While when you do try this process of creating your top 10 images, you're going to find it hard to pick out of all your babies, which ones are the top 10. And it's like you said, because you're going to learn a lot about what made your images better as you as the judge are looking at them all and going, okay, I have 15. How do I get rid of these last five? Which mm -hmm. ones are going to go? And you start looking at some of the minutiae, some of the polish elements. Okay. You know, if I look at maybe just distracting elements that take away from what I love about the image, any of these are more distracting than others. Oh, you know what? This one is kind of more distracting. I love the scene. I had a great time there, but you know, there's more distracting elements here on the composition than it is over here. And so I'll remove this one. And th the decisions that you invent that create the small list of 10, instead of keeping all your 20 and 30 that you thought were awesome is going to give you insight onto what to do more next time. I mean, back in 2016, when you got us all stoked about creating our top 10 list and sharing it on our Instagram and people were doing the hashtag and it was kind of fun to see you respond to our top 10 list and think, okay, I did it. I had to go through all those images that I loved of Milky Way stuff, landscape stuff, and then I had one image that just stood out. And the mm -hmm. rest of them all had the things I really wanted. The one that stood out was one that I just kind of did so I could do. I wanted an experience of doing a star trail, but I didn't really love it compared to the rest because I wanted Milky Way. I wanted a beautiful sunset. I wanted those to be the number one. But on top of creating the top 10 and only having 10 images, you're ranking them from 10 to the best. And it just, and all of the one-to-one -one combats between like the March Madness of my final 10, looking at, okay, this one has this, this one has this. Well, this one is so good. The final victor came out because it had a cohesive color message from frame to frame. It had no distracting elements that ruined the image. It was quality lighting on the rock. It had a quality star trail. And because the moon rose when it did, it made the sky so blue in my composition. So now I've got this blue and orange complementary colors composition from frame to frame that is just so much more polished than any of the other Milky Way shots of 2016 or any of the other landscape sunset sunrises that I loved. And it was interesting to learn that about that. And it's like, I have tried to live up to that standard in my star trails ever since 2016. And so when you go through the process of creating your top 10, you not only learn what you're doing wrong that you can easily cut an image out of the top 10 for having like, okay, I had this problem in it. So I guess I'll just drop them from the top 10. But you're also going to realize the stuff that you're actually naturally good at. You're like, okay, I could do this again. I can repeat that. Right, and then right. these techniques to get repeated in other future. And before I say anything else, I got to give a props to Jordan Yance. He was picture monk and then he was work at home and stay. He did tons of different projects. And right now he's doing something. They should check out Jordan Yance. Just Google him, Jordan Yance, Y-O-U-N-C-E. He invited me in 2017 to do what he's been doing for years, where he creates a printed book of his top 10 images. Right. And he actually goes out to this one site that has a great binding. It looks solid. And he has a year, you know, this 
top images from 2016, 2017, 2018. And they looked so good on a shelf. I got so excited about that. And I have done well and poorly at creating my top 10 images <laughs> every year, but I always have that in mind. And uh, I'm excited to have those books printed. Yes, I have to admit that I didn't do the printing after Jordan inspired me. <laughs> but I think I have an excuse since I went through a divorce and uh, had to move out of my home and got a little distracted there. So I never went through with it. But I know now as we go into the best year ever, 2021, I'm going to get on that. And I think if you guys have any time or money or thinking about it at all, I recommend printing them because that is something that you can look at and go, well, that was my 2015 year. That was my 2019 year. Love seeing those images again. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it, it's one of the most helpful things that I do. And uh, it's it's something you should go check out. I don't want to spend the whole episode. I want I want to get through like ideas for 2021 and and what photographers could do to maybe stretch themselves in 2021. But uh, I have a Photo Taco podcast episode, a few of them, and I'll put a link in the show notes that you can go there, or you can just go to phototacopodcast.com and uh, and search for top ten. And I'm sure you'll you'll have numerous articles come up on how to do I that. I give some tips and tricks, especially for Lightroom Classic, about how you can make it easier on yourself. Uh, it, you do just a tiny little bit of work on every shoot uh, through the year, and then it makes the process of actually like knowing what photos might be your, contesting for your top 10 position. Uh, very trivial. That part of it's easy. Now, picking them is still really hard, <laughs> still tough <laughs> to be able to to call some of your babies ugly. But uh, but it, it's it's a really good process. Something that I think I learned from, and and it helps kickstart that next year of like things I want to work on. When I look at the images, and I can oh, yeah, I can look point. and say, well, I know there's some things I learned this year, but I think I could expand on that. I think I could learn even more on that this year and set myself a goal for doing that in 2020. Maybe coming up with some projects I need to work on to to achieve that goal, expand myself, and, and improve my skill set. And so, so I, I'm, I'm really excited about that process. If you haven't checked out or if you haven't done that, it's one worth taking on. You should go check out that uh, photo taco podcast to give you some ideas about how to make that happen. And go now, to his Instagram and just search the hashtag. What was it? Top 10 images was the hashtag. Oh, I don't find I don't all remember. the old ones and see things in progress <laughs> of people that maybe you recognize from the Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah, there it, it's good. If you want to share, in fact, going to the Facebook groups or tag us on Instagram, um, uh, we, we have all that information in the show notes so you can you can tag us and find us but if you awesome. want to share your top 10 that's it's a really good way to uh to make sure you're going to finish it first off that you're going to go do that and then share your images and it's it's great I, I love it it's so much fun to be able to do <laughs> all right so looking back then aaron on 2020 is there any point in the year you can look back and say there's a project or there's an image where i stretched myself i did something i hadn't done before it really helped me to learn, and I'm so glad I did it. <laughs> I'm so glad this was the question this year, and I wasn't around for last year to ask me that. Because I spent <laughs> 2019 thinking, man, I didn't do enough. I just kind of hung out in a comfort zone. But in uh -huh. 2020, yes, I did. And it was thanks to France. The, there's two things, two places that I actually pushed myself harder. And both places were thanks to listeners of the podcast and follow my YouTube channel that actually gave me gear to use to try some things out. 
and I love them for it. So France is first. France hooked me up with a Skywatch Star Adventurer. So if you guys know me and Photog Adventures, you know I'm always talking about getting out there, go out there and have fun, get an adventure, you know? But also, I am very keen on helping beginners in single-image Milky Way photography. And single-image Milky Way photography is basically you have a static tripod, you have your camera, you're going to go anywhere from 8 seconds to 30 seconds that you're going to need to have a shutter open to capture your sky and get, you know, sharp focus, sharp images, and cool compositions. But there's a huge, huge difference in single image Milky Way photography and star tracking. Oh, yeah. And Franz wasn't getting out with his star tracker as much. And he sent me an email saying, hey, would you like to use this? Before I donated to somewhere here at a thrift store or something, do you want it? I'm like, yes, yes, please, <laughs> Franz. Yes, I want it. I've been wanting one forever. And so now I had a Skywatch Star Adventure and pushing myself to do it. Um, there's so much more involved. I won't go into all of the aspects of it. For those of you who do Milky Way photography at all who are listening, you already know the aspects that are different between Star Tracker and Single Image. But for the, the uninitiated, let's just say quickly that you need to turn on this heavy beast that goes on your tripod between your camera and your tripod. You have a ball head on top of it. And now you're trying to get this beast aligned with Polaris at the North Star. And then once you're oriented that direction, then you can have your camera turn towards the Milky Way, which is typically southeast to southwest. And you're looking at the Milky Way there. And because it's oriented with the North Star, it actually has a motor that's rotating slowly with the same speed that the Earth's rotation is going so that you can track the stars for, you know, an hour. Okay, I should say an hour. My cat started walking up here onto the keyboard. So I started moving some things. And so I said an hour. You can go for a minute <laughs> to four minutes and really bring out the most. So there's like two things that you can do to get better color in your image or better quality in your Milky Way shot. And that is simply a longer shutter. That is just going to bring out all of the low contrast dark stuff as well as bring color and detail to things that you were blowing out with your higher ISO. Single image is awesome. You can get some really great images. In fact, I show off my favorite images all the time doing just single image Milky Way. But here's the thing that I found out, Jeff. If you take everything that I've done in Milky Way photography and transplant that information and knowledge into Skywatch Star Adventurer, everything matches up. Once you get the orientation, all of it's the same. Mm -hmm. But then you go into post-processing and I could take my single images in post-processing and bring them into Lightroom and post-process them singly there. Just, I never had to go into Photoshop. I mean, you could, but I like showing beginners all like the entry level ways of making your image still look great without having to know the skill set of Photoshop. Right. Wow. Um, I took my first Star, Star Trek image out of Goblin Valley. I got the sky and I put it in there and did my basic editing that I do in Lightroom. It looked exactly the same. And that was my biggest surprise. I thought just by virtue of being two minutes long exposure, perfectly crystal, crisp, crisp stars, all the dots are perfect. And the Milky Way lower contrast parts of the core were going to be popping off the screen. I took a single image at my eight seconds, 8,000 ISO on my single tra single image track, and then I put the tracker on and did it for its two minutes, and then post-processed them, the, post them the same in Lightroom, made no changes, and they looked almost identical. There was a slight huh. difference in the tracked one, but not a real benefit. So huh. I found out immediately that, oh man, there is nothing that a beginner can do in just Lightroom to bring out a 
star tracked shot. If you're tracking and you want to get the most out of your tracking, you have to get into Photoshop. You have to get involved in adjustment layers, playing with the curves and doing everything there. And mm -hmm. that will do the most to bring out what you're seeing in Eric Benedetti's amazing star tracked shots is happening with Photoshop love. It can't happen by just a Lightroom hug. You need a big old loving hug from Photoshop. <laughs> and it just doesn't work. And so I found, crap, my entry-level post-processing can't get any benefit from Star Tracker alone. You're going to have to get deeper and spend more time in post-processing. So that was one of two places. But before I jump on the second place, you want to say anything on that? Have you done Star Tracking at all, Jeff? So uh, I was going to mention that when you were kind of finished here. Um, I invested in a Star Tracker this year. I had intentions to get out and use it, and then 2020 happened, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that changed, right? I haven't used it yet. <clears throat> I haven't, and I'm, I'm afraid I may have backed the wrong one. So uh, Ooh, what I ended what up that? doing, I backed a Kickstarter for oh. a unit called the Move, Shoot, Move, MSM Ooh, that's not for bad. Sure. You don't think so? No, I've used it. I can vouch for it. It has some really good quality stuff for wide field, and you can even get away with a 200 millimeter lens on it on a deep, you know, two minute, one minute exposure. Okay. So don't, don't uh, shrug off the move, shoot, move yet. Okay, that's good to hear. I haven't even put it together and tried it. So the, the reason I decided to do that, I, I, I knew I was going to get one in 2020, and I had intentions to go out and use it in 2020 to, uh, to see, just like you did. I wanted to see the difference with tracking versus not. And I was going to buy a Skywatch, that Star Adventure. That was the the one I had decided on when I saw the Kickstarter uh, campaign. And, and the difference and the reason I decided to back the Kickstarter was this is a far more mobile solution. This is it's really little. Oh, yeah. Much le uh, lighter, so it's not nearly as heavy. That is going to make me more apt to bring it with me when I go on camping or whatever I'm doing to to have it with me as an option to use it. Whereas with the Skywatch or, or there's a uh, – what's the other – Ioptron or something like that, right? There's the Ioptron that has multiple other brands, other models underneath them. So Ioptron's yeah. really great, Skywatch. And then I would put Move, Shoot, Move as a second tier, but it's great. Yeah. So, it, you know, those two are, are probably more complete solutions, but they're heavy. They're, they're not nearly as portable. It's, it's tougher to get it out there. So that's why yeah. I just, I thought Move, Shoot, Move would be my, the option I would be interested in doing. The costs were so, uh, really close. And, uh, and then I just never tried it. And I was worried because they, the people who backed the Kickstarter also got access to a Facebook group where they show images, they show process, they share videos about how to set it up and so on. And there's been a lot more, uh, struggles to use it than people who've been successful to use it. Interesting. So mm. I, that's why I was nervous. Like I haven't tried it yet, but boy, there's a lot of people here saying they can't get it to go. <laughs> and that makes me worried. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I would say try it for sure. The best thing about it is it's got a great laser that comes with it where you can get your alignment very easily. And as yeah. long as your tripod, ball head, whatever geared head, whatever you're using to connect to the move, shoot, move, and then the tripod holding the move, shoot, move, if all of those are solid, they're not moving around on you and not losing your orientation that you just got, you're going to have no trouble with it. And you're going to find sure. out that you've got a star tracked image and you're going to get a great bunch of star tracked images. The challenges cool. might come when you have too heavy of a camera with too heavy of a lens, or mm -hmm. if you go into doing longer exposures for like a deep sky shot of like the Orion nebula, go over to mm -hmm. Witch's head, horse head nebula. You can capture those. Well, 
with the move, shoot, move. I've seen it firsthand. Even just last month, we were doing it in the Upper Peninsula. And so, yes, I can vouch for it. But those are where you get into the, your gear might have a problem. You might lose tracking. You might lose this. But for the most part, they're pretty fantastic. You put a wide-angle lens on a move, shoot, move and capture the Milky Way, you almost can't fail. So I'm curious what those complaints were on the Facebook page. Yeah, mostly it was just like the complexity of getting it set up, I think was the Okay. That is going to be even more true with the Skywatch Star Adventure. So (laughs) Moon's fantastic. (laughs) All right. Excellent. What what other, you said there was another The uh, second place. Yeah, where you stretched yourself. So the second place I challenged myself was with the time lapse. I've been doing time lapses on my, my tripod. So on top of static single image Milky Way, I've been doing static, you know, time lapses all the time. My, okay. my Lightroom is filled with a catalog full of hundreds of thousands of images because of time lapses. Okay. Like I could make a 30 minute video of time lapses of the Faroe Islands alone. And I think I might when I get some time over the, over <laughs> okay. the winter. So these time lapses are fun. I put them in on my high res image into a Adobe Premiere and I will move them around or I'll, I'll pull in on something or I'll track away from something mm-hmm. in the time lapse and add motion thanks to Premiere. And thanks to the fact that it's a 4K capture, so it looks really good. Well, I challenged myself thanks to Sean, who hooked me up with a slider, an Evo slider, and said, hey, you want to play with this? It's just been gathering dust. I love you people who have gear gathering dust in your closets, (laughs) and you want to put them in a foster family like Aaron King so that I can play with it, because that was awesome. Sean gave me this thing during a 2020 year where we couldn't go out for a beginning, and then we had workshops finally happening, and now all of a sudden workshops are happening, and... Uh, I need to dedicate my time to those at the workshop and I can't play with the slider, but I tried my absolute best to fit it in there. Oh my gosh, we had, we're driving in a workshop in Southern Utah and there's just clouds here, clouds there. We're going to have to go on an extensive drive into Arizona, coming up through Page and go over to the side of Utah that's near, you know, it's Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. And on our way, the sky was stormy and awesome and it was just like, Oh, this is going to be an amazing sunset at Horseshoe Bend, guys. We got to pull over. Everyone pulled over. We got out to this Horseshoe Bend, and that sunset, it delivered. Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, you know them. When you have a sunset that is coming with clouds that are perfectly level, it seems like every cloud in the sky is all on the same height, and that if the sun can get underneath that bench of clouds, that you're going to get this glow everywhere. Yeah, it was one of those sunsets, and it was the iconic location of Horseshoe Bend. And so here I am excited about using the the slider with the group thinking that they're going to be golden. We're going to do some landscape. It's not Milky Way that the workshop's all dedicated for. So I can probably multitask my slider plus them. No. And it page was full of people at Horseshoe Bend. And so it was a situation where if I put down the slider and I'm helping people at their camera, this slider is going to be stolen and my camera's going to be stolen or it's going to be bumped off the cliff edge. Who knows? And so I thought I couldn't do it. And it was so frustrating to not capture that Horseshoe Bend sunset because it was gorgeous. And a time lapse of all of the great moments would have been a killer and epic time lapse. So those of you uninitiated on sliders, they just basically move your camera incrementally as your pictures are being taken. So the entire time lapse will start on the far left or far right of a space and slowly move over and add some more right. excitement and interest to it. So I pulled it out for NeoWise. I had a workshop after that workshop, they had one guy in the workshop who wanted to hang out with me for an extra night. And I thought, this is great. I can use my slider now. I set it up, man. Oh, what a failure. <laughs> this is, it burns, Jeff. It burns still thinking about this moment. 
I'm sitting there with the slider. Neowise is up against this thing called Hoodoo Village. In fact, it's the exact same rock formation for my top 10 2016 image. It's that yeah. same rock formation. I brought him out there. It's just on the border of Zion National Park. And so we're right there. Got Neowise on the left of it. And the way the moon's lighting the landscape, everything looks terrific. So I captured a couple images to make sure my focus was sharp and everything was good. And I'm like, wow, I like that image by itself. Okay, that's going to be a great image on top of just bringing out a cool time lapse. So then I hit the initial start. And the way the slider works is you kind of pull it to the left side and let it go to the right or vice versa. Well, I pulled my, I pulled my dang camera over to the left and it, it fell. It hit that edge a little hard. And then the camera on the ball head wasn't tight enough and it tipped. And I'm like, oh, I lost the composition. Oh, no. That's too bad. Well, while I'm in here, I might as well just get my camera set up. And I thought, oh, oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and just fix this. And oh, the Neowise Comet's moved. Okay, I'm going to fix it over here. Oh my gosh, it's moved so much. It's behind the rock now because it used to be like right on top of this chimney rock. Uh And like now it's underneath the chimney rock. I got to move to the right or left that I lost everything I liked about that. The moon kept moving down. All of the greatness of that composition was lost and it was lost immediately after it hit the edge of it and fell over and I go to capture another one it was gone so that sucked in itself but guess what's even worse Jeff guess what newbie mistake I made prior Uh. to doing the move of the camera over to start my time lapse I told myself uh you know what I uh might not have enough space on this card I really only have a few images I'll go ahead and format my card because I have all these old images from a previous adventure that I don't need to keep. And I'm thinking, okay, get out of here. Um, get rid of all of those so I can take a nice long time lapse. And okay. that's when the mistake happened of, of actually deleting that beautiful image that I loved. I thought, oh. I'll just take it real quick. I'll format real fast and I'll take a picture. Well, the first thing I did was move the camera back to that position that I loved that image and it flopped over to the left. And in the process of fixing it, the comet moved and everything went away. And so that picture was lost to the format world and I couldn't recreate it. And I spent the next 30 minutes sweating bullets and beating myself up going, what were you thinking? All you, <laughs> you had 800 images on the card, but you got excited that you needed more. What were you thinking? Why did you format the card? So I, I never got a good composition again that night because I was trying multitasking with another guy in the group. So I wanted to make sure that he was taken care of. Oh my gosh, I was so mad, Jeff. So mad. I pushed myself <laughs> to challenge myself with a slider and I did some bonehead move. Oh, oh. so sounds sounds like you stretched yourself in this area with a failure. Like that's <laughs> that's what taught you. Like uh, this is not super trivial. I, I it takes a lot of prep work and mm-hmm. and set up to to make it so it can be successful. But that even though it didn't work this time, that's a, a massive amount to learn. Oh yeah. <clears throat> like I think we I mean, have to it- fail. Absolutely right? reinforce that you got to clear your cards before you start a time lapse. Don't take any pictures yet. And when you see and you like something, remember what's fleeting in your sky, whether it's a sunset, a certain animal, or a Milky Way or a star. Remember what you liked about it and capture a bunch of them real fast. Just don't, don't forget that those things are fleeting, you know? Right. So as, as I look back on 2020, um, I don't think I, I did a ton to stretch myself. I, there's a lot of images I'm really proud of. I, there's a lot of images I was able to create that uh, I'm super happy with. And and awesome. that's, that's really good. I, I like that. 
but I wouldn't say there was a lot done to challenge myself. It was like in my comfort zone, like like we talked about. That mm-hmm. was it was in my the space where I'm super f- familiar, comfortable. I know what to do to get the results that I I like. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it does it means I have to work a little harder at challenging myself and making it so that I can continue to grow. And I'm not saying that I'm so good at this that I don't have much room to grow. I do. I have plenty of room to grow. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I, I challenged myself to really make it happen in 2020. So I, I'm excited for it. I do have – there was one thing I did do that challenged myself a little bit. Um, so I, I've been taking high school uh, team photos for the, the girls' basketball team. I did it for the boys a few years ago too. But the girls' team is the one that keeps hiring me to come and, and do their team photos. They, they care more about their photos than the boys do. <laughs> and so they, awesome. they hire me to, to come and take the team photos, you know, the normal, like get them on the bleachers and take the picture of them. And then I also do the individuals and, and for several years now, I have done a process where I will take the individual poses in, in multiple different poses of each girl, each athlete, and then, um, extract them from that background and put them into a really cool background or put the, them all together as a team in a non-traditional way and, and make some, some epic like uh, magazine cover kinds of, of images with them. Extracted. It's so cool when I see your work. That's awesome. And I, I love doing it. <clears throat> and the testing that I had done for years, I had decided I'm going to use a white screen background for these uh, because the green screen tests that I had done myself here in my house and, and trying to figure out what I can do always were terrible. Like I, you could extract the athlete, but I always ended up with like green in the hair, green on the skin. That's what I was going to ask. It was it, every test that I did, I was like, this is just not going to work. And you, it, 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 the white was just way more forgiving. When I used the white background, if there's a little bit of white that ends up you know, in their hair, you can totally play off of that in your background. And you can add like a light source in your background that explains why that white is there in the hair. And same with on their skin. Oh, you can, you can, you have something to work with where when it's green, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> like green it's is green. Otherworldly. Yeah. It, and it makes <laughs> them look, it's obvious that like somebody took that from one photo and put it into another. And so, but I've, I've also kept up with like, there's, there's groups of people out there, groups of photographers uh, they call themselves Volume T and I stands for Team and Individual Photographies, and I, I did a podcast episode on this a few weeks ago. So you've, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to hear more details about this. But the way I challenged myself because they all, almost all of them swear by the green. That is how they do it, and and they um, they their key to their making money. And I made I talked about this in the episode is it's got to be fast. This cannot take. You can't spend an hour per photo uh, to to make this go and do the extraction and and get them onto the background. That just it will not make you money. Even though there's paying clients that are going to pay for these images, you can only go so far in these images. Like parents are buying these things anyway. Go check out the episode if you want more information. So I finally had read enough about this and and I did some newer tests this year. I decided to make the leap and go for the green background this year, and I was scared to death that I was going to end up with like months worth of work, <laughs> not being yeah. able to, to get these images extracted and put into the backgrounds and like not being able to deliver Can't it to the team and, or giving them aliens back. And uh, it just, it was scaring <laughs> me to death. 
And it worked out so, so well. Um, I still have things I know I can improve on in that process, things that I could do better. But boy, was it, it was super successful. And I was way happy that I gave that, I, I made that leap and tried it out. So again, if you do want I need more, to go back to that episode to find out what you did differently between yes. the green screen tests and that, okay, yep, I will yep. I'll go back to that episode. Yep, you're going to do that. I do need to, to specify a little bit of errata here. Uh, with that episode. So we talked a little bit, Brent and I talked a little bit about a company in the nation that it, they handle almost all team sports photography in the country. And that's Life Touch. They're, they definitely meet a huge need. There's like, they provide really good services at a very, very reasonable cost. So they're, they're really meeting a need in the market. Um, but they don't do this process of like extracting athletes from a background and putting them into a, a different background. That's absolutely not part of the uh, service that they do. This is totally different. But I see. I the what I had in these groups that I'd been participating in. Uh, of course, they're going to look down upon this Life Touch company that's out there because they're stealing their work. A lot of them, <laughs> right? They they provide something at much lower costs than what the these photographers who specialize in this are doing. They don't provide nearly the same images that they're very different kinds of end results, but it's still, they, they badmouth them a lot, I should say. And so I had this very unfavorable impression of them. I had someone reach out after the podcast that I did on this and they said, uh, so what, what I had taken away from these group discussions. And it's my fault for not having done my own due diligence and check it out. Uh, I had, they had said that these teenagers get very little training and they go in and just push the button on, on the camera and they, they work these kids through as fast as possible. And that's not actually how it works. (laughs) They have (laughs) a photographer that does work for life touch contacted me and said, uh, he's, he's not a teenager. He's uh, a very experienced photographer. They spent five days training him, and uh, they actually do a lot of, of good work. So I want to make sure oh, that nice. that's in the podcast now. <laughs> so, Credit uh, due. Yeah. Yes, yes. It, very different from what I was creating, but still, uh, Life Touch is, is not a bad option at all. And I did at least say that part. <laughs> they meet a good need in the country. <laughs> so um, so I, I like that. I, I stretched myself in that one area. I think there's a lot of other things that I could definitely do. I, I want to get more creativity into my portrait. And there's some things I, I have ideas on what I want to do here in 2020 or sorry, 2021 um, for, for doing that. But I wanted to walk through some goals Aaron, or some suggestions. I, one of the things I think photographers struggle with, especially those who maybe have gotten to the point where like they, ha- they get some, uh, some decent cl- client shoots through the year or whatever it might be, or, or they're pretty happy with the landscapes they're producing coming up with ideas about, well, how could I stretch myself in this next year? I don't, I don't even know what I can do. I like what I'm doing. I, I like the results that I'm getting. I'm not sure where I can take that next step. I wanted to, to try to come up with some ideas for listeners who may be in that kind of a situation or listeners that like way at the beginning of this process. And they're thinking there is so many things that I could do to try to stretch myself. How do I pick one? What's, what are we going to do? So I, I thought maybe you and I could go through a few suggestions Things that we could uh, we could encourage listeners to consider as they are looking at goals and resolutions at the beginning of 2021 to work on through the year. Um, awesome. I let's let, yeah, let's do that. Let's. So I'm going to start. Maybe we'll just try to go. I don't know every other one or something here. I have a bunch in the show notes and and we'll talk about it. But let's let's start with. Um, I want to to encourage anyone listening who feels like they have a specific genre. And usually we kind of break it down into the two categories. You have portraits or landscapes. Those are 
the two big genres of photography and you generalize or you, you tend to like do one and not the other usually. Now I'm That's true for me. I'm a rare exception there. I love doing both. I, I try to do both as much as I can, but I've done way more portrait work this year in 2020 than I did in 2021. So getting out to do landscapes would be a good resolution for me. But I'm encouraging anyone listening, whichever one you favor, try the other one. (laughs) Spend some time. Do at least one other shoot in 2021 in the other genre. And even if it's not something like I'm not saying you need to switch to that through the for the whole year or that that needs to become your emphasis for whatever you're doing to to try to make a little bit of money or, or for your career. But in switching genres, you learn so, so much. Whenever you go try something that you haven't done much of, you learn a lot. And I guarantee it will help you with the genre that you've been spending most of your time in. And so, so I think there's big ways that you can improve there. And just that one thing, like try to work out something where you try the other one. And if you're a portrait photographer, set yourself a weekend where you're going to go out and try to get a landscape that's worth sharing. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's worth, uh, worth hanging on your wall. And, uh, and by doing that, I think you'll just, it just develops a part of you sort of like, you know, our brains and, and all of the subjects in school you have, we all have subjects that are easier for us and, and trying the stuff that's not easy for us is hard, but it, it really helps us. It helps us to improve our brain function. And I think it goes the same for photography. So I I think that's a, a big goal that people could set for themselves in 2021. All right, Aaron, how about That's you? You want to pick one from the list? Oh, pick one from the list? Okay, yes. cool. I mean, shooting the other genre is something that I don't know if I'm ready for portrait stuff. Maybe like <laughs> under the Milky Way with a quick flash or something, but that's about it. Oh, yes, yeah. well, that could portraits. work. It would be really cool, too. I was out with uh, David Newman and or Matt Newman, and we were at Crater Lake with a group, and he had this flash bulb that goes off. It's like this little ball that he learned from, um, what's his name? A guy in Australia who has this awesome of photography for Astro Photo Bear, I think is his channel. And basically this Michael Go guy, that bulb will go off in the middle of your 20 second exposure of the Milky Way. And then it flashes on the group that's standing there. So it doesn't matter if you are moving during it, you try to stay as still as possible. So right. you don't get this like blur at all. But right. when that flash goes off, you see you under the Milky Way all in one single shot. So that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll do that with my there kids. You go. That'd be a lot of fun. Perfect. So that if would I be pick great. another area on here, I'm going to go ahead and choose bias because I love macro photography and it's something that I want to do more of. And it's thanks to my interest in carnivorous plants. I have these little teeny carnivorous plants and bigger carnivorous plants. And it's a lot of fun to get in there and capture them and do time lapses with them. So macro, if you've never shot macro before, it is an entirely different world. In fact, when you go to a location for a sunset, and it doesn't turn out, macro is a great way to do something while you're out there with good light or you have an awesome subject, you can get something interesting out of macro. And so that is something that I would like to do more of. And if anyone out there is thinking, I want to do something with my existing gear, macro might be perfect. There's also some elements of getting the right lens that makes macro even better, but you can make it work. Even this Tamron 1530 that I have on this camera right next to me, I can do macro with that and have a lot of fun with it. And man, it is 
to do the focus stacking in macro is so much easier now with the way you can blend it in Lightroom. You can even blend a focus stack. And so it can take all that extra hard work out of it. And it's just get a nice sturdy tripod and capture slices of focus on that little tiny subject. And it changes your perspective on how to fill a frame with a quality composition when you're getting in that tight. And adding the light, it's a challenge to get the, the light right. It's, it's yeah, yeah, super, super challenging. And I want to point people to some resources for help here. If you've never done macro, I have two, a couple of different articles you should check out. One's called Getting Started with Macro Photography. I did that with one of the world's top macro photographers, Don Kamareshka. Really good guy. Oh, he's brilliant. Excellent photographer. He's, he's amazing with his photography. And uh, check out his podcast too, his Photo Geek Weekly. is a great, great show. And then I also did a, another one with him, more specific in the macro world to how to do water droplet photography in particular. And mm. um, I'd never done that. And after doing the podcast episode with him, I actually uh, part of what I, I showed in the episode in the show notes is the image that I created with just the gear I had around. I didn't make any I didn't buy anything oh. to, to do it. And uh, it, it's it was fun. I, I got something that was very shareable, not like I need to work on it <laughs> to get I'm not, <laughs> near, not even close to, to Don's level of quality. But if you want to get interested or started in that, and like I said, if you've never shot it before, it's fun just to give it a try. And what you learn is amazing to, to be able to do <laughs> that. Focus stacking, the, you know, the techniques, it, it's great. That water droplet stuff is so neat what you can get. And it's so cool how the different colors, the background, the lighting that you have to get involved to make it pop out the way you want it. And it's such a perfect project for inclement weather, stuck at home quarantine kind of thing to do. And like you said, do it with your existing gear, have some fun with it, man. That's something I've always wanted to do. Yeah. It, and it's, it's not that hard. You, if you don't have any macro lens, you can turn a lens into a macro for very inexpensive. Anyway, go, go check out the articles they have everything you need to know about how to get started with it so you can get an image that's that's really fun to be able to create. All right, macros great. I here's another suggestion and this one might be <laughs> it might be more work than you want to do. It might take more time than you want to do, but it's something to consider and that is digitizing your prints and negatives. So you can do this with your your camera. And uh, you can also send it off to a service of course and they'll they'll do like some high quality scanner and send it back. Um, I haven't tested out any of them, so I don't have anyone to recommend there, but I did, I did a, a podcast episode with uh, Chris Marquardt a, a while ago on this, and he had been talking about it on his uh, tips to the top floor podcast. So I had him come on. We talked about, we, we created the ultimate guide to digitizing prints and negatives. That's another link in the show notes that you can find to the photo taco episode about that. And, uh, and we just talk about like what you need, how you can do it. Uh, again, it's, it doesn't need a lot of gear. It's really just going to be more the time that it takes. But if you set things up, well, um, Chris was able to, he said he was able to get it to where it was seconds per image to be able to do it. And, uh, and then convert that whole like shoebox. you know, we all have those shoe boxes full of either prints or negatives yeah. that really need to be digitized to preserve our memories. And you can think about how, how cool that would be to be able to do that for your family and, and send then the digital images that you create from it out to your family. And you can learn a lot about how to use your camera and how things work in, in taking on a project like that. So I think it'd be a fun thing. All right, Interesting. Aaron. So more camera doing it than scanning, huh? Like even better quality or just another oh, way to do it? Yeah. Chris was saying there's no comparison. Like the quality that you'll get by really? using your camera is significantly better than what the people wow. with the scanners do. 
but I'd never knew that. Wow, awesome. Yep. Okay, what what are you going to pick off the list now? Yeah, I'm going to go for another one that I know. Let me just okay. jump down to one that I really is close to my heart, and that's night photography. Excellent. I mean, if any of you are thinking, man, I want to get out more, but with the family and with work, it's hard to do. Night photography is maybe perfect for you. In the beginning of my career doing photography and hanging out with just the balance of family life and photography, it was so hard to do sunset and sunrise sometimes and get away from the family for that. But it's not hard to tuck people in bed and say, hey, <laughs> right. goodbye. I'm going to go do Milky Way photography and capture the night sky. Because they're like, fine, if you want to lose sleep, go ahead. And there are many mornings, too, where I'd wake up just extra early and go at 3 a.m. to down to Salt Lake for work. And I would pull off into a desert area and capture a cool sunrise in the morning. And then I would go into the office and I would be so happy. There's like no way better. People like coffee. I don't drink coffee, but my, for me, my coffee is like getting out in the morning for a sunrise or Milky Way. And then when I arrive at work, if I wasn't up all night, I actually feel pretty dang refreshed and stoked for the day. So Milky Way photography is a ton of fun. And really, honestly, that's something that if you guys have even a little bit of skill in putting your finger to the shutter and making sure you check your ISO, you can capture a Milky Way shot. You don't need to be extremely talented to capture a Milky Way shot. And if you haven't tried it yet, look into it and do it. You can definitely pull it off on your first night, even without having ever done it before. Excellent. And and you uh, you have some resources that we could point people to if they've never done it before. They're not sure how to even get started, how to approach trying to take a photo of the Milky Way. How, how can you help them out, Aaron? Oh, yes, please. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> if you go to Aaron King at YouTube, you will find a ton of free resources of me talking about two-minute tips, quick videos, long videos. Um, If you wanted to join me over at our guild, because Facebook, we kind of gave up on that. It was just getting too hard to meet everyone wasn't hearing from us if we messaged something. So now I mm -hmm. message everyone through MilkyWayPhotographersGuild.com. You join the guild there. We have weekly and monthly sessions that are lessons, teaching, tutorials. I have guests that come on and do Milky Way roundtables. And we have a ton planned. In fact, we've got a guy who's going to come in and teach us how he does a star tracking blend. And he blends that foreground with the night sky and he makes it look natural. So some of his specific post-processing tips to get like the edges of the sky to blend with the edges of your foreground, even with trees and look good. And so I'm so stoked to have him come do that after Christmas. So night photography, you want to learn anything you want, go to Aaron King or check out Photog Adventures and you can Google us or go to MilkyWayPhotographers.com. But if I can, I also want to mention some new thing that I just created because Honestly, of all the gear and technical questions that I answer people, the other question I get is, hey, is it a good time to go out for Milky Way? It's like, okay, is it a good time? Well, what makes a good time for Milky Way photography? There's two mm -hmm. things. Is the Milky Way core up? Because the Milky Way is up every night, no matter what night it is. There's a Milky Way band up. You just can't avoid it. But sometimes that core, that beautiful jewel, that biggest, brightest, coolest center of the galaxy is not over your horizon and visible to you. So it's not always up. And the second factor to consider, not considering clouds and weather and location, just the second factor is the moon. Is the moon going to be in your way? And so when you're thinking about going out and when you should go, 
Um, I'm always answering the question here and there in emails or comments and saying, yeah, now's a great time because of this. And I think everyone has a vague idea in their mind that the new moon is a great night to go. Absolutely right. And then they think, oh, I can't go any other night. No, you're totally wrong. There are 20 plus nights every month that you can go out for Milky Way photography. And you just have to have those A, B is A, the Milky Way core above the horizon. B is the moon out of your way. And so I actually just created a really cool resource that is giving people an idea instantly where the nights are good. So if you say, look in January and you're like, okay, what nights are possibly good? I have created this almanac. It's Aaron King's Milky Way Photography Almanac and it's the 2021 edition. So I went through all the days and all the months of 2021 and I basically quantified, okay, in this month in the Northern Hemisphere, it's up for one part of the night of four parts. And in the Southern Hemisphere, it's up for two parts of the night out of four parts. Because I basically quartered the night and just said, here's four sections of the night. When's the Milky Way up above your horizon? And then combined that with what the moon is doing. So on a waning crescent, does the waning crescent get in the way at the beginning of the night or at the end of the night? And if you're thinking new moon is a great week, but then your Milky Way is up only after the first like hour and then it sets, then what happens? If the Milky Way is going to set below the horizon in the first hour of the night and you have the new moon just two nights ago, you're actually going to get washed out Milky Way because every night after the new moon, the moon takes longer and longer to set. And that waxing crescent becomes larger and larger and it illuminates the sky and it can really wash out your Milky Way. So you can quickly see on my calendar in the almanac that, oh, awesome, this is a way to know instantly that, okay, the weeks in January that are good are the week from new moon and then the second week leading all the way up to the full moon. I can go out every night up until the actual full moon night. Okay, perfect. I got that. And so I created that almanac out of an ebook that I started years ago and realizing that everybody's making ebooks about Milky Way photography. And I was like, you know, what can I say that would be that different? And what could I do to help people that are not just beginners in Milky Way photography, but absolute experts? And what do I want? And I created an in, a resource that's even good enough for me because from the Almanac, you can also get a wall poster that's 36 inches wide, 24 inches tall. And it sits there like any you know yearly planner calendar you might have on your wall. And that thing sits and shows instantly, okay, those are my good weeks in June. Those are good weeks in April. That's a terrible week in October to go. Okay, I'll plan my trip to Oregon coast around that time. And so mm -hmm. you can quickly look at that wall calendar and I'm going to use it. I can't wait to get my printing from it. And so the Almanac is a huge resource for every skill set. If you want an easy way to know, is the Milky Way going to be good tonight? The Milky Way Photography the Milky Way Photography Almanac is perfect for you. And so I've got to plug that because I'm stoked about that Almanac. And if you guys want to get a hold of it, um, Jeff, right now I had a pre-order sale that was going up until the 15th and 18th. And so that was $10 instead of the 13 um, can I give you an, a special link that is going to let everyone listening right now just get it for 10 bucks flat so I can get the PDF and if yeah, you guys want to get sure. the wall poster, you can do it. So when is this, po this podcast going to go out? And it's going to be on the 24th. 
24th? Right. Yep. Okay, sweet. I've got a couple days. I can get that site up dedicated to just you guys with that pricing. So if you all are listening to this right now, you can go to the link that Jeff's going to provide in the notes and I'll let you guys have it for just flat 10 bucks, nine ninety nine. you know, the classic, you know, sales and price. <laughs> and it'll be easy to get. Hope you guys will jump in with me and make 2021 a year that, you know, this is the Photog Adventures motto. This is the theme, the core principle of Photog Adventures that you can get out there and have an adventure of your own and do it more in 2021. So with night photography, I 100% recommend getting out there as much as you possibly can. And I hope this is a good resource for you. Awesome. Thanks for letting me plug in that. That, That's something that's cool and dear to my heart. Yes. Yes, of course. That's great. I want to provide resources that can help people to achieve their goals. So if if you haven't ever done a Milky Way shot or night photography, then make 2021 the year. Go go out there and do it. Yes. You learn a lot. You learn a whole lot by doing this. So the only uh, thing you'll regret is that you don't live in Utah when you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I I don't think you have to plan a a massive getaway. It helps. It helps if you can plan to get into a place where it's the, the um, night, the light pollution is little away from big cities. So you have darker skies and be able to do with it. But I'll have an image in the show notes that I took right here from Harriman, Utah, where I did not get outside of the city limits at all i just uh i when i point in the right direction from the city when the the milky way is in the right part of the sky uh it's still dark enough in that area to get a decent image of it so it's it you you definitely need to plan that almond i can really help with that uh and then hope the the skies cooperate with no clouds and then uh then go out there and shoot it's really fun yes and that image, I can see it in the show notes. It's looking really good. You actually fought off that Utah County uh, light pollution really well. That's right. That's right. Yep. It, <laughs> it, it was cool. It was really fun. I was super excited when I was able to create that one. All right. Uh, the, awesome. next, the next suggestion I'm going to offer up, and maybe I'll combine a couple here, um, a flash. If you've never done flash. Now, and this might apply a lot more to portrait photographers, but Aaron, you even thought, if you add flash to your landscape as you're shooting your Milky yeah. Way and and try to flash so that you can you can get your uh, the people in the image, that's really fun. Really good way to be able to do it. Uh, you definitely have to make an investment. So this isn't something you can probably do with stuff laying around unless you've already invested in flash. But you right. don't have to make a huge investment. I think there's a misconception. Uh, people they tend to go with like the the manufacturer that they that made their camera. That means that's the gear you have to buy: lenses, flashes, whatever it is. And that's not true. You can absolutely get high high quality equipment that will work with your camera that is not made by your camera manufacturer. And so I, I have a photo taco episode or. or blog page I'll have in the show notes. It's inexpensive flash where I go over some very inexpensive flash equipment that you can use to be able to get going. And I wouldn't say this is just like getting started flash equipment because this can last you forever. Like I am still using the same flash equipment that I've been using for years, even though it's very inexpensive and it works out really well. And then I have a couple of other guides you can go check out for getting started because there's definitely a few things you have to know about how to incorporate flash into your photos. So I have, there's a, there's a post or an episode called flash shutter sync that I did with Levi Sim. You can go check out. There's one called how to get good exposure indoor with flash and another one that's beginner's guide to flash. So I'll have links to that in the show notes. So you can go check all of that out and be able to see what do you need to do so that you can incorporate flash. 
I went through the phase as a photographer where, um, you know, I, I had people asking about taking family portraits and I love doing family portraits. Now it's, it's something that's kind of the core of what I do most of the year. It's really fun for me to be able to create memories of families. And, and I love seeing their reactions when they see the images and it's, it's just a lot of fun to me. I know it's not everyone's uh, cup of tea and, and not everyone likes to do that, but I, for a long time, called myself a an ambient light or a natural light photographer, but it wasn't because, and, and you can absolutely create stunning images in natural light. So don't, don't get me wrong that you have to have flash to create good images. But the reason I called myself a natural light photographer was because I didn't know how to use flash. It wasn't because <laughs> it wasn't because it was a, a preference of mine. It was, I didn't know how to do it any other way was more a limitation than a preference. Yeah, it was it was a lack of skill set for me. And so <laughs> I I was trying to justify it by saying I can get good images with just natural light. I don't need to take on the expense or the extra complexity in a shoot of adding flash. And then when I finally did it because everyone talks about it so much, when I finally decided, all right, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to give it a real try. My image quality went up significantly. My ability to be able to produce high quality images in almost any environment now for portrait work is is there. And it's because I learned how to use flash. And so I, I highly encourage you, if you've never done it, if you are like me, you call yourself a natural light photographer right now because you don't know flash, then go learn it. And then if you still prefer natural light over flash or want to have natural light be your primary source of light, very good. Just have, make sure it's a it's a decision because you prefer to you work that way rather than I don't know how to do it with flash. That's just not a good way to to have it be. Right, kind, and I don't want to the rest of my life not knowing flash myself. Not good at flash. I need to learn it. <laughs> and these resources. I mean, talk about an episode full of resources. This one is chock full. Yes, yes. Most of them costing you nothing. So go right, check all it those out. Episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, another suggestion that's along the same lines, but a different uh, model than you may have had is fruits and vegetables. So yeah, what we is did, that? I don't yes, understand. We, <laughs> we did an episode we called Shoot Your Fruits and Vegetables back in May. And this was <laughs> Brent and I did this episode. And uh, it was just trying to inspire photographers to get creative and do something different. And so uh, one of the projects that Brent had done with his students was a shoot with fruits and vegetables. And the favorite one that he had was a pineapple. They cut open a pineapple or they, sorry, they, they drilled a hole in the bottom of a pineapple so they could put a flash up inside of it. It was actually a light bulb and then, and then took photos of it. And you can see like the light bursting through the edges of the pineapple, right? The, the little (laughs) bits of fruit are kind of organized almost in octagon shapes around it. Right. And, and so those little octagon lines that are there in the fruit, you could see, um, because the light was there inside the, the fruit. And they just did a bunch of creative stuff with fruits and vegetables, trying to, to take ordinary items that you wouldn't think could make it a compelling photo and turn it into something that was a compelling photo. So adding creative lighting, and now you have a model that won't complain. I, I love to try to get creative and learn <laughs> how to do stuff. Hours, that pineapple. I, I like to try to do it with my family, but my kids are very impatient. They won't sit there for very long. And I usually <laughs> need a while to like work through stuff and try different shutter speeds, try different flash levels, try different positions and, and these are our models that won't complain. They're going to be just fine for hours <laughs> to sit there and, and let you do it. You don't have to pay them. They'll work many, many hours. They will. They don't notice yeah. your mistakes. That's a pretty That's good client. Right. 
it's it's good. It's a good model. So uh, so that's a good thing that you could try. If and that's a good way to try to like understand Flash too. If if you've not used Flash, this would be a project you could do all by yourself. You don't have to involve anybody else. Very inexpensive, and and give it a go. So you can make that happen. Yeah. And if you come up with a good enough image and you really like your lighting, give yourself a shot with some extra negative space around your cool composition and sell that as a stock photo for marketing agencies to use. It's the kind of easy, like, oh, that's a cool background for some copy being in there, some text that they can write up for an ad. And you might make some money off a stock photo of that. That's crazy cool. Okay, I have two more on the list. Um, One is a creative portrait. And this is one I've never done. And I, I like to say that I want to challenge myself in 2021 to do it. I just am not sure I would be up for it in 20. Anyway, we'll see. I, maybe I should I should set this as a goal and see if I can get there. But the idea here... What qualifies here, it as a creative portrait? Yeah. So let, let, let me... The, I want to be specific about what I, what I think this should be. Okay. This would be instead of accepting like a, a paid client shoot where you're going to take a portrait for somebody, whether it's a, a business headshot or their family portrait, which is, is uh, the, kind of the last suggestion I'll, I'll offer. Uh, this would be going after creating a high-end uh, portrait that is something you specifically set up. Like you're not shooting it for a client. You are the client. You're going to contact the model and get a model to come and be there for the shoot. Maybe it's a... a one of those, uh, you share the images with the model. What's that called? Uh, I, it's escaping me, but an arrangement where the model gets the benefit too, because they, they're going to have images that they can use to oh, advertise yeah, themselves. I don't know the term, but yeah, uh, I do know the term. I just can't remember it anyway. Um, <laughs> or, or, or you're going to pay them. And then also like a costume that the model's going to use, the model's going to wear and getting a hair and makeup artist involved so that they will they will have you'll have everything set up to be able to create like a really high end stunning portrait um different from what most clients are going to hire you for that's that's not how almost any other portrait's going to go and to kind of inspire you um I did an episode with Connor Hibbs Connor is an incredible portrait photographer and he and I back in March we talked about six creative portrait images so he has, he shared with us um, what they did. He actually contacted some other photographers for most, were most of the models in his images. But I think he had also a, a music star, someone who wanted to have like a music album cover created. Oh, and, awesome. and so he, he had a, a few different shoots where it was very, it was like all of this. They had costumes, they had hair and makeup artists, they, they had, and, and they really got together and um, tried to create some really stunning portraits with some incredible lighting and so even the lighting setups that Connor used in his images are there in the show notes. If you want to go check that out so you can get some ideas about how to do this. But if you've done portrait work for a while and you feel kind of stuck, you feel like you haven't done anything new or anything to expand yourself, this is a way I think you could really expand yourself and, and stretch yourself in 2021 is setting up a shoot like this. Uh, something that I could do. be interesting. Is it called a trade for photos? I think that's something? it. I think that's it. Yes. I just Googled it. Yes. Trade, trade for photos. Um, there's Thank a you. woman out there who, I mean, this is a challenging creative portrait, but she does underwater photography, oh, yes. portrait photography. Jenna. Jenna Martin. Has she been yes. a guest on your show yet? Yep. Yeah. We've, we've talked about that. And I'll, I'll try to remember to put a link in the show notes because she specifically talked about underwater photography. Awesome. Yeah. Jenna Martin's awesome. Yep. Okay, my last suggestion uh, is 
<laughs> is like like we the old fable where the shoemaker's kids have no shoes. <laughs> this would be like when's the last time you actually took a family portrait of your family, oh. printed it, and hung it on the wall? Um, yeah, because so many of us probably don't have a current photo of our family, a really good one, where you actually took uh, time yeah. to set up like you would a client treating your own family like you would treat a client in going to extra effort to make it so that the images look good. Um, so having that be an, a goal, I'm going to, and sometimes that can be hard because you may have people who are grumpy about getting together to do a, a family portrait. <laughs> That's not always easy to do, but arranging a time when you can get your family together and you have the lighting the way you want it and you set it up. And then all along with the design of, I'm going to print this huge and I'm going to put it, hang it up on my wall, huge. And uh, especially if you've never done that before, if you've never printed one of your own images really big and put it on the wall, um, having that be a goal and maybe, you know, it's your family. So hopefully you could like try it. And if it doesn't go well, try it again, <laughs> take it, take another <laughs> try at it, uh, and it, to make it happen. But, um, that might be a good way to stretch yourself. If you've never done something like that this year, you could put a few of these together in that case to be able to try to stretch yourself and learn how to make this go. And, and, uh, hopefully you end up with a really good image of your family at, at one point in time that you'll have for memories forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is such a guilt trip. We have <laughs> thousands of dollars of gear to take photos, but we I'm one of them who hasn't taken a photo of the family in a while. And so I'm thinking right now, as you just mentioned, even mix them together, I was already combining them in my head. I'm like, okay, I love Milky Way photography. I love Night sure. Sky. What sure. if, what if? And I was talking already about that ball that, you know, Michael Go uses. And it's like, okay, I'm definitely going to get one of those. I think they're only like $150 or something. They're not too expensive. I can get one of those, get my two cute kids. I have an eight-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. Get them having fun with me. We go on an adventure with dad. We drive out maybe to the salt flats because that's a nice and easy place for us to drive out in a dark spot without having to go hike anywhere. And it's all yeah. nice and safe. They can sleep on the way home because Milky Way does not come out around five o'clock at night when they're, you know, heading towards bedtime. So, you know, it is definitely going to be a late night, but I could just see me getting them both out there. They're holding the ball. And then just I flash it off at the right time in the middle of my capture. And I could see both of them having just instant natural like awe and excitement from the flash bulb going off and that could be right. such a cool cherished photo of my two children at this age that they are oh man okay yeah you guilted me i'm gonna do it in 2021 i commit right now to you Excellent. and all of the master photography podcast listeners yeah i am going to do it i'm going to capture okay. my kids print it on my wall and confirm and let you know when i do it because i gotta do that all right, so I'm your accountability partner on this, Aaron. Yes, exactly. And when you do it, after you're done, you have to come on the show and you have to tell us about how you set it up, how it went. We're going to share yes. the, we're going to share some of the the results. I would love it. And in okay. true Photog Adventures fashion, I'll talk about what went well and what didn't go well. <laughs> what, dealing what with wrong? a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. I wonder how that's going to go. <laughs> yep. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So uh, I'd love to hear that from all of you too. Whoever, all of you listening... Uh, let us be your accountability partners. Go into the Facebook group and put a comment on the post. We have a post for every episode that we publish and put a comment on there on what you are going to do to stretch yourself in 2021 so that we can um, we can try to follow up. And, and I'll try. Uh, hopefully I can be able to save that off. And sometime next year, because I'm, I'm sure I'm going to do an episode like this again next year. I can bring up some of those and maybe I'll try to, to contact some of you uh, close to the end of the year and say, how did it go? 
did you get, is there any results that you can share? If any of you are brave enough, maybe I can have you come on and we can talk about what you did. It'd be kind of fun to, to have all that come together. It's a lot of work, but we'll, we'll see. We'll, I, I hope I can do that. It means I have to remember to start in like October. <laughs> to, I'll be your accountability guy. Okay. And help all right. You do that because that would be a blast for me too. Excellent. Perfect. All right, Aaron, this has been a long episode, but really fun. I hope we've inspired some photographers to set some goals for themselves to stretch themselves in 2021. Let's get to our doodads of the week. We'll make this pretty quick here. I'm going to recommend Rikon Focal software. I was not a fan initially. I have to be right up front about that. I compared it with like manual processes like .tune is a method that you can use to do. Sorry, this is for autofocus micro adjust, uh, making so oh, you're, gotcha. you're tuning your autofocus system on your camera, um, which every DSLR is in need of. Every single one of them, if it's a DSLR, it needs it. I'm even seeing that the differences in manufacturing processes can mean that this could be important for mirrorless, but it's kind of new for this covering kind of the mirrorless world to be able to see it. But this software has actually become far more valuable than just tuning the autofocus system. There is way more to it now. It's awesome. I'm working on a full detailed review of it. I've been working on this for about three months now. I've probably taken about uh, 20,000 images in the course of doing oh, this. Wow. To, yeah, I mean, most of it's automated through the software, but, uh, okay, but, but it's, still it's, it's a lot that I've been comparing. And I, can't, I, I can now recommend this software uh, to everybody. There's two licenses. Uh, there's a plus license that's $60, and there's a pro license that's $100. Um, and then they have it, one of the things that's really cool that would appeal to everybody, even if you shoot mirrorless, is they have this thing called multi-test that will test your camera fully automated for the cameras that support it. Now, there's some older cameras and some limitations in like the software development kits from the camera manufacturers that limit what the software can do. But uh, for a huge huge portion of the cameras that are available today. It, it can be almost fully automated, if not fully automated. And that uh, what it'll do is it, it will take images across all of the apertures in your lens. And it can tell you that for your camera combined with that specific lens, where's the sharpest aperture. And uh, it's, it's awesome to be able to do that. Uh, the, they have a deal too, where you can buy the pro license plus get two of their high quality uh, high, like their the printed resolution of it is better than your your laser your sorry your uh, your printer will do. You can print one off and use it, and that's what I've been doing. But they they've got targets that you can buy that you use in, com in combination with the software. It has a low reflectance laminate on it too, so these targets will last like forever, and uh, and will not reflect light back that can cause problems for your camera in doing these kinds of tests. You can get that. You can get the pro software plus the two licenses, two targets. For $140. And if you use coupon code TACO2021, you can get 20% off. That's only going to be good for the next couple of weeks. So sometime, so probably by the end of 2020, that, that coupon code will no longer work. But um, I this this is really cool software. If you like to geek out <laughs> about the, the quality of the aperture, the sharpness that your camera can provide, uh, this is very good software now. And I, I, I really love it. It's doing well. 
Aaron, what do you have for us? Awesome. I want to recommend the Tiffin Double Fog 3 filter, specifically the Double Fog 3. This guy is a filter you can screw on on the end of your lens. When you're doing Milky Way photography, you don't need it. But when you're doing just astro and out at night, how many of you have seen that cool-looking Big Dipper in the north? You're like, I'm going to go turn my camera over that way and take a picture. And you do, and then you look at the picture later, and you go, man, okay, there's thousands of stars like basically camouflaging where those big dipper stars are and it looked awesome to your eyes but in the picture you can't even recognize where the big dipper is well the tiffin fog filter does exactly that it takes what you're seeing with your eyes and magnifies it so basically think of it this way like a thin cloud layers over stars you'll notice that the higher magnitude stars are popping off the screen and they're popping off the sky and they just glow brighter well they show up in the fog filter that way so for instance i was at a lighthouse in the upper peninsula capturing orion constellation and it looks interesting enough but when i put on the tiffin fog 3 filter man it's so cool to see how that just pops and you see every other star in the sky that's higher magnitude and not only do they pop off of the image and show up more, you're also getting the color of the stars better. We often blow out the colors of our stars with the higher ISOs, and we can't get that back unless we do a star track shot. And so when you do a fit tiff and fog filter, get that fog filter on there, it brings back a lot of that color. So you got to watch your ISO, watch your shutter, bring up your shutter if you want to get more color, but use that fog filter and you're going to see the copper, the blue, the whites, all of the different yellow and pink stars that are in our night sky that you weren't seeing before on top of capturing that really cool composition where the Big Dipper's over Canyon, well, or not over Canyonlands. If you've ever been to Canyonlands, you're looking mostly south. But we want to see Orion pop off the sky. I recommend the fog filters. Go to Amazon right now and support Master Photography Podcast and get a Tiffin Double Fog 3 filter. It's a fun thing that you can do now while you're waiting for the Milky Way to come back. Excellent. Yeah, I'll have a link in the show notes too. It looks like on Amazon right now, um, the 77 millimeter version of that filter is only about $80, um, which can be good if you look through your lenses and you don't have anything bigger than that. But I usually recommend buying the 82 millimeter and then getting step down rings to adapt it to whatever lens you've got. The problem is the 82 millimeters is all the way up to $160. It's that like double one the cost. That has an exorbitant change in cost. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. So if, if you don't need the 82, maybe go for the 77 and uh, save yourself a little money and then uh, step it down if you, uh, if you need to go smaller than that on the filter size. All right. Yeah, definitely. It can be worth it. It can be fun. Yes, for sure. I love it. All right. I want to remind everyone, masterphotographypodcast.com is where you can find the, the show notes, all of those links to all the resources that we talked about for the things that you're you're interested or how you can stretch yourself in 2021 will be there. You can join our Facebook group over at Master for, uh, you just search for Master Photography Podcast in Facebook, or there'll be a link in the show notes about how you can do that. You do have to ask to join the group. We only say this on the podcast. We don't put it anywhere else because um, we want to make sure listeners are the only people in that group. We want to keep the spanners and the spammers and the bots out of there. So you have to ask, you have to answer a question, name a host on the show. If you don't answer the question, we don't let you in and you can either put Jeff or Aaron and we'll accept either answer. And uh, we'll know that you listened to the show to join that Facebook group. We have lots of people that are great to be able to have uh, lots of help for any questions you've got and be able to get announcements about the podcast and what's going on with it. You can find my work over at jaysharmonphotos.com or my other podcast is phototacopodcast.com, which most of the resources we've talked about today are from that podcast. I just done a lot of covering of, of technical topics and things over on that on that podcast you can follow me on instagram twitter and facebook and all of those links are in the show notes where can people find you aaron 
You can also find me, photogadventures.com is the main site, and now you can get information about me and find my new 2021 workshops over on erinkingphotography.com. That is going to get up here in the next couple of days in time for this release. But you can also <laughs> learn tips and join my communities over at milkywayphotographers.com. We have an active blog over there talking specifically about night photography, Aurora, Star Trails, Milky Way, as well as the milkywayphotographersguild.com. That's where I perform all my live streams and teach it, teach lessons and have extra information and tip sheets all given you there at the guild. So instead of the Facebook group now, we've moved over to Guildies and we have Guild over there at the Milky Way Photographers Guild.com. So if you want to jump in on a place that's ad-free and no Facebook uh, connection whatsoever and you didn't have a Facebook anyway, that's the place that you can join us and be a part of our live stream and learn from Phil Sisto next as he teaches us about working with the sky versus the foreground and blending it. So yeah, and Man, thanks, Jeff, for having me on and be a part of Master Photography Podcast today. Really appreciate it and had a lot of fun. Excellent. So so glad you were able to join, Aaron. And like, if your goal for stretching yourself in 2021 is dark sky, then you need to check out the resources that Aaron's got there. That'll really yes. help you kickstart kick that. Please All do. Right. Let's have fun and adventures together in 2021. Let's do it. Excellent. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I hope to see the goals that you have to stretch yourselves in 2021. And we'll see you again in another seven days. 